0: Are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen Alleluia. Alleluia, Amen we have walked this week from the glory of last sunday's palms to the glory of this resurrection day and have done so by telling of the hard road of suffering and death we all know how the story flows right no surprises here As Robert Ferrer Capon said to me back in 2004 in a series of conversations we shared in his home in Shelter Island, we have done it with the sort of sequential business of Palm Sunday. Three cheers, cheering, then darkening, darkening, darkening. How sad, how sad, how sad. And then Good Friday and the death. How sad, how sad, how sad. And then surprise, surprise, it's all fine again. But that's okay. That's the way the movie shows it. That's the way the movie shows it, he said, because he'd been working with an image that looked as the scripture as being a film, a long film, certainly, with all sorts of unexpected turns and detours along the way, but a film that we have to watch again and again, and again. No fair stopping at some point in the middle, he told me, landing on one verse or one episode and saying, aha, that's the key to it all. No, we keep watching the film from beginning to end, keep telling the story week by week, month by month, year by year, and then out of nowhere something will hit us afresh. I mean, I know the resurrection story, and and, and I know it quite well. I've been preaching it for over 35 years, and I studied the Gospels formally for three years in theological college before that to say nothing of all the years of growing up in the church and hearing the stories again and again and again. But time and again, when I sit down to work through what I might have to offer This year, I'll see something I'd not noticed before. Or or perhaps I'll see something in a new way, which is just as significant. Now this year, we've opted to proclaim the resurrection story from the gospel according to St. John. So it's worth saying that each of the four gospel accounts has its own unique character. No surprise here, but just to keep that in mind. The figures involved can vary a bit from gospel to gospel, and the emphasis of each in the resurrection can be quite unique. I've made this point before, but it really is worth repeating this evening. While modern sensibilities imagine that a historical account Is meant to line up very neatly all of the details and all of the facts, an ancient understanding of history is quite different. The understanding that our gospel writers came with. What the gospel writers sought to do is to tell us about the meaning and significance of the event and not narrowly the nuts and bolts sorts of details. So this account tonight brings us features, including the presence of the beloved disciple, which is John himself. I mean, John is writing it, and and he never refers to himself as John. It's always as the beloved disciple, or the one Jesus loved. He's not included in the resurrection appearances of the other three gospel writers, And there is that fascinating set of details related to Peter and John running together to the tomb. And John gets way ahead, but he waits there and lets Peter go in first. What's that about? Well, in the view of Raymond Brown, the great scholar of John's Gospel and John's epistles, it was meant to say that while John led a Christian movement that was somewhat independent of Peter and of Jerusalem, he was here saying that he was recognizing the priority of Peter, the priority of the Jerusalem-based church, the church which had commissioned St. Paul, and so stood at the heart of the whole Christian movement. And in the way he tells the resurrection story, he's making it very clear And yet, it's not as if the account is meant to do only that. For John is saying something about his own radical transformation in light of the resurrection of Jesus. And here, Bishop N.T. Wright drills down on the phrase that we heard read he saw and believed. John entered the tomb and he saw and believed. This is how Bishop Wright describes that moment. Oh, John had had faith before. He had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He had believed that God had sent him and that he was God's man for God's people and God's world. But this was different. He saw and believed, believed that new creation had begun believed that the world had turned the corner out of its long winter into spring at last. This is what the resurrection meant to John and what it must mean for all who read his gospel account. New creation had begun, has begun. And for all that the world still struggles, For all that we can despair sometimes at the state of things, in that moment, that resurrection moment, new creation came into our midst. Then the two of them returned to where the other disciples were still in hiding, bringing with them these fragments of a a bigger story, a, a still unfolding story for as yet they did not understand the Scripture. They needed more. This will come in time when together the disciples will have a more fulsome experience of the risen Christ. And that leaves Mary Magdalene alone in the garden, weeping and feeling lost. As she wept, John tells us, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. The angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's still reeling. She still hasn't even begun to get her head around the fact that that death has not had the final word. And who can blame her? Then comes that moment when she turns away from the tomb and sees Jesus, who also asks her why she's weeping. She doesn't recognize him. That happens often in these resurrection accounts, right? They... They don't recognize him at first. People see, but they don't really know what they're seeing. Maybe the tears are too thick, or their minds are a little too thick, and that's there too. So the frame of what's happening is just impossible. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Supposing him to be the gardener, which is an extraordinarily poignant mistake to make, because she's not entirely off target. I mean, he's not literally the gardener who tends this area where the tomb is located. But at another level, he is absolutely the gardener of the new creation. He is the one who has planted something new right in the midst of the thorns and weeds of the empire-dominated world. He will see to the blooming of blossoms and the harvesting of grain, even in a world still held in captivity by Rome and its emperor, He will inspire people to do things beautiful and brave and lovely even through the hardest of times. Christ is indeed a gardener, the gardener, the new Adam. Then she recognizes him and with eyes wide she exclaims, Rabboni, teacher, teacher. And as John pictures things, she must have been moving to grasp to him, because right away he says to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not ascended to the Father. Which has often struck me as a little unfortunate. I mean, I, I, I wanted Jesus to just embrace her. And let her laugh and cry and rejoice and do it all at once, if only for a few moments. But no, it's don't hold on to me, Mary. Go to the disciples and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And on this William Temple... uh, very well-known Archbishop of Canterbury in the middle of the 20th century and a very fine theologian and biblical scholar, William Temple offers an important reflection. He writes that while a great embrace between Mary and Jesus might have been expected, quote, in a profounder sense, this was the inauguration of a fuller union. In the days of his earthly ministry, only those could speak to him who came where he was. But his ascension means that he is perfectly united with God. We are with him because we are present to God. And that is everywhere and always. Because he is in heaven, he is everywhere on earth. Because he is ascended, he is here now. Hear that again, just the last couple of lines. We are with him wherever we are present to God. That is everywhere and always. Because he is in heaven, he is everywhere on earth. Because he is ascended, he is here now. And he is. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, You can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.